0: This this is the Blue Horseshoe with your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. Welcome back in, Colts fans, to another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey alongside George Bremer. Post-game pod edition, Thursday night football edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. As the Colts somehow win 12-9. And George, we have a lot to get into here. Mostly negatives from this just ugly, God-forsaken, you can argue, you know, crime against humanity game that we just watched for the last four hours. But let me ask you this, because this is personally something I've never felt as a fan, and I just feel like there's nowhere else to go but right now, or there's nowhere else to start, I should say, but right here. The Colts win the game. They win 12-9. to I personally have never felt worse after a win than I do right now. I don't really know how many Colts fans can feel good about this win. The Colts are 2-2-1. and The season's not over. But with how ugly this game was— offensive with how inept they looked zero touchdowns Matt Ryan is under siege all damn game bad turnovers like, like there was just so much negativity coming out of this that even though somehow they improbably won improbably won the game I really don't feel good I, I don't I, I really don't honestly don't know what to make of it George I've never felt like this before it's so weird but I like think it's also so fitting with how bad this game was
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it was historic. I mean, uh, mean, first time in NFL history that that two quarterbacks, two starting quarterbacks with four or more Pro Bowl appearances between them played a game and no touchdowns were scored. So a historic game there in Denver, historically bad. And you saw the home crowd leaving at the end of regulation. They had the right idea. They they knew what was going on. Um, I am oddly serene. I was talking about this with you a little bit uh, before we got on the air. It's the first time all year that, that it makes sense to me. The first game all year that I understand what happened and that uh, what we thought we were going to see coming in is exactly what we saw. Really bad football, no doubt about it. Um, I, you know, the Colts found a way to win, and there's something to be said for that, some tiny, little, itty-bitty, minuscule thing to be said for that on a day like this. Uh, I think more, you got to hand it to Denver. They just wanted this loss more, and they, <laughs> and they took it. But, you know, I, I, I come away from this feeling this defense is taking steps. They're, they're taking strides, uh, especially without Shaq Leonard. They're they're making things happen. That's one good thing. Alec Pierce gets better every week. I give him some credit. Deion Jackson kind of made a name for himself on a national stage. Outside of that, everything else was NF. Everything else is, is absolute failure. Uh, Chase McLaughlin. Chase McLaughlin gets gets an A. Um, but really, I mean, the offense, the offensive line is irreparably broken. That that's where I feel right now. I think that's why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Because you look at this offensive line right now and you just think, who are they going to be able to move the football on?
0: That's it. You you hit the nail on the head, George. That's why I feel like even though they won, I feel so like depressed. I have no energy, to be honest. Like that game drained every like ounce of life out of me. And it's a win and it's so weird, but you're right. I, for me, I think it's the offensive line and how bad they looked. Six more sacks allowed 12 quarterback hits allowed. And I think what's so demoralizing George is that they actually made a, a big time change where you look at the five guys they rolled out there to start the game. I think on paper and maybe even realistically, this was the best offensive line starting five combination. You can have Bernard Ryman at left tackle. You have, obviously, Big Q there at uh at left guard. You have Ryan Kelly at center. They slid Braden Smith inside at right guard, and you move Matt Pryor from left tackle, move to right tackle. When they made that lineup switch, I was like, you know what? Let's go. Changes are being made. I think this is the best five guys you could have in the positions that they're in. And then you see the game, and it's like, holy smokes. This is somehow... Even worse than you could ever imagine with how under siege and how almost like Matt Ryan had no chance dropping back. And to the point where it almost felt like Frank Reich didn't want to call any pass plays. He's like, this is not going to work.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and it, it, it's really hard to, to look at that and, and have any optimism. There's no question about it. If you want to make excuses for them, you know they did it on a short week, which was kind of weird. You really didn't practice. It was a couple walkthroughs, so this unit hadn't played together except for a a couple times in training camp. They'd shown it a couple times in training camp. That's about all the live reps they got. Uh, I know Bernard Raymond in particular really, really struggled early in this game. He had a bunch of penalties. Um, I think he's a guy who's going to make himself into something. I think think there's something there, Uh, but it was a really hard assignment for him today and he had trouble with it. There's no question about that. Uh, Matt Pryor didn't fare much better on the right side. I felt like, and I think this doesn't help the situation any, but I felt like the best the offensive line looked was late in the game. Those last two drives, the two field goal drives to tie it and to win it. When Ryan Kelly came out with the hip injury, I think when Danny Penner came in at center, they started to get a little more push in the run game. Now, what's not fair about that is Denver wasn't expecting them to run at that point. Because it's sort of like the, the situation in Houston where they had the best running that they've had all year late in that game because they were running against a defense that absolutely didn't expect a run. So it's hard really on both sides to say, well, how much of the struggles were due to the fact that they didn't take a single practice before this game versus how much of any steps forward they took were due to, you know, Denver's not very good against the run to begin with. And then they weren't expecting a run in in, in those situations. That's why I I give Deion Jackson some credit. He got an opportunity. He took advantage of it. I give Danny Penner some credit for coming in and and getting that push, but I don't know that any of it means anything moving forward, if that makes any sense.
0: You're right. It's almost concerning that when Ryan Kelly goes out and Danny Penner slides in at center, like they did after, like you said, they look the best um, that they have the entire game. They actually, you know, at times get Matt Ryan. A sliver of a second, right? Because he went from no time to like at least a half second back there to, to drop back and make a few throws. But let's talk about George, the change in general. Because you're right, we were talking about possible offensive line changes, and we thought, you know, maybe there'd be a change going to the Tennessee game. But we kind of thought that would be the last kind of stand. You go into this game on Thursday, and then now you have a basically a mini buy ten days for the Jacksonville game. That is where you make your changes on the offensive line if you're going to make them. And Frank Reich, Chris Strausser, whoever made the call said, screw it, we're making it now. And like you mentioned, on a short week, they were out roll out an offensive line that outside of what a few training camp practices, right, George, they have never really had um, playing together that much. Do you agree with the timings? I don't. I think that's the best five. And I will admit, hand up, I was excited when it was rolled out to start the game. But now when you look and see how bad it was, it makes sense that they struggled because they've never played together before and you have a few guys playing out of position. The timing is very suspect of making this move, like you mentioned, on a short week with zero practice time going against a defense that's still pretty good at getting after the quarterback.
1: Yeah, and first of all, saying a few training camp practices is overselling. It's more like a few training camp drills. They did it a couple times in just a couple segments of practice. I don't think there was one complete practice with this line. It was just something that we kept, they, they did it more than once, so it's stuck in your head like, hey, this is something they're at least thinking about. Uh, it, it was shocking to see them do it on a short week. There's no question about it. They come out of here with a win, and I think they're gonna take that. Uh, but it obviously wasn't due to the switch on the offensive line. Uh, I, I don't know going forward if this is the line you're gonna use, I would I would think so. Um, you know, one thing that we talked about off the air, it sounds crazy, but I think you're at the point where you need to do some crazy things. One other thing that they did way back in the spring was having Danny Penner at center and Ryan Kelly at right guard. You know, I don't know. Is that a possibility? Move Braden Smith out to to right tackle and then, you know, let Raymond and, and Pryor fight it out on the left side. It's a crazy thought, but I think you're at the point now with this line where crazy thoughts need to be considered.
0: I mean, you're... I think we are broke record, George, but like every week it's like we're talking about basically the same thing, but it's almost sort of different with this with this line, whether it's miscommunication and not getting the blocks in. And now it's just everyone's getting beat. Everyone's committing penalties at the worst possible time. And so you're right, like, there's no more. There's no grace period. There's no like, uh, oh, you know, they'll they'll figure it out. Like there's no more like we are in five weeks in. There's no more figuring it out. Like, like you said, this is this is who they are. Now, the one thing I will say, and you mentioned it right, like they barely practice together, and even if just a few drills, which makes it even worse and makes the timing of this even that much more confounding of why the hell would you roll out basically a brand-new offensive line when you don't have to, not like injuries are forcing you to do this on a short week when you have, again, so much time at your disposal on the other side of this game to implement and get everyone comfortable and give yourself a chance to succeed. Like, that's a thing, George. And this is what I used to love. Uh, This is what I've lost some love when it comes to Frank Reich. Because I thought for a lot of the criticism he does get, and now obviously this year rightfully so, but I thought one of the things he did better than most coaches in the NFL was no matter what the position, especially in offense, he put his players in a chance to succeed. Whether it was quarterback, whether it was running back, whether it was receiver, tight end, offensive line, he was able to call plays and put guys in positions to where even if they're out of position, for a game or a series, they st- he was still able to to you know manipulate in a way where they're not over their head and they could still kind of make some plays um, and figure it out. And then you go into this game where again, you're going against, even without Randy Gregory, a, a, a ferocious defensive line that Denver has. And you are now putting a rookie left tackle into Bernard Raymond, who there's a lot, like I said, there, there's a lot of potential there. He's been banged up. With, with an ankle injury, so he's already been limited at practice the last like, two or three weeks anyway. And now on a short week, you're going to put him out there for the first start of his career, and you're going to move two or three other guys around to positions they're not really you know, used to playing an outside of 15 or 20 snaps in a few offensive line drills. And it's like, that is not giving your team a chance to succeed. And for the first three quarters, this offense, was even worse than we've normally seen. Jordan, like that. I don't even know what the vocab, uh, vocab word is to describe how bad it was. It was it mind numbingly bad. And again, when you have a, a guy in Frank Reich, who's it felt like scared to even call a few pass plays or, or because he just kind of knew it wasn't going to succeed, or Matt Ryan almost giving up on plays before they even were ready to go because he figured it's not going to work like that's a major issue. And so, you at mm-hmm. least got to give your team a chance. And I felt like for the most part, somehow they win the game, which is, uh, is still mind-boggling. But like that's the the biggest frustration. Like they they felt to me this offensive line, and even Matt Ryan, and we'll get to him in a second here. But they felt like they had no chance to really have a, a real successful opportunity tonight.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's really it's hard to really understand why you make that call this week. Um, I think they thought maybe it would open up the run game a little bit. I know they they had to be very 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 upset with what happened against tennessee you go in there and that team's giving up 5.8 yards per carry and you only get 1.7 that day jonathan taylor has 20 carries for 42 yards it gets an ankle injury nothing about that is going to make you feel good about you know that group moving forward and i'm guessing that is what drove this i don't know if it should have uh they got away with it they can thank stefan gilmore for that yeah um you know, so they're going to come out of here with a win, and I guess on the other side of this now, you do have a game under your belt, and you do have ten days now to kind of gel together and and maybe see if this unit can be better against a Jacksonville team that has absolutely dominated the Colts up front for about ten years now. So I don't know, you know, I, I don't have an answer for why they did it this week. I'm sure Frank Reich's being asked that as we speak uh, by the by the guys who are out there in Denver. I'm sure it's going to be asked quite a bit through the week uh coming up here and i'm sure it's something we'll be talking a lot about going into the jacksonville week uh, but for now all i'll say is you know hats off to stefan gilmore for somehow saving their bacon
0: you're right about that we'll get to stefan here too because he was one of the few bright spots tonight for sure um quickly george i i know it's still you know we have 10 days to the next game i would roll this i would give them i want to give this line a chance to see what they can do i'd roll them out the next game in jackson would you as well or do you want to yeah. switch it up and I don't know, figure out do another offensive line combination at this the, point?
1: The only possible switch I would make is the one I just talked about. My crazy idea of moving Ryan Kelly to right guard and, and putting Braden Smith back at right tackle. That's the only move I would make. I think this is probably the best combination of five that they've got. And, they, and they've said all along they're gonna put the best five out there. Uh, and we'll see what they can do. I mean, look, this was an awful game. But I guess I, it's probably not hitting me the same way because I expected it to be an awful game. I picked a thirteen to ten score. They they and with Denver winning, so they overperformed my projection. Um, I expected it to look really bad, and so it's probably not hitting me as hard because of that. But there's no question. I mean, six sacks, two more turnovers. This offense routinely shoots itself in the foot, and and I think the most frustrating part about that is right now. You've got other people starting to step up around that offense. Jelani Woods two weeks ago in the win against Kansas City. Mo Cox on Sunday against Tennessee. Alec Pierce all three of those weeks. But most yeah. especially today. Hey, that catch he had in the fourth quarter. I don't know how he caught it. I it, Ryan got hit on the throw. It looked absolutely for all the world that the best possible scenario there was a defensive guy was going to drop an interception Mm -hmm. and pierce somehow gets in front of him and catches the football he is growing up before our eyes look this offense deserves all the venom that it's going to get but don't miss the fact that alec pierce is is becoming a player
0: Let's talk about Pierce, because you're right. Like This is by far his best game uh, of his, you know, very obviously short NFL career. Leading receiver for the Colts, eight catches, 81 yards. Like you mentioned, that one catch he had where he, you just think, best case, it would be a defensive back, knock it down. Instead, he saves the game for the Colts by not only just running an interception, catches the ball, somehow gets a first down, uses his physical big build that, you know, the Colts have been talking about, you know, leading into the draft and after the, you know, all training camp. And now you're starting to see this was really the first game where he asserted his physical dominance. You know, he, he caught some contested balls. There's a, there was a uh, first down he made early in the in the um, in the first half where he was tackled. but He catches the ball. They challenge it. They gets he gets the first down. Like he, you see his physicality now really starting to. to to come out, you see the confidence as well in a nice catch to dive along the sideline to get out of bounds in the two-minute drill, uh, to help get the Colts move down the field. And it got to the point, George, where he was playing so well that the Broncos said, forget Michael Pittman Jr., we're taking our best quarter in Patrick Sertan and we're throwing him Alec Pierce. Like, that's the ultimate sign of respect. And it's it's a good thing for the Colts because you know what? For a guy Michael Pittman Jr., who clearly is their number one wide receiver and is clearly getting, you know, every defense's attention that they're gonna play. It is great now that you are starting to see, like you mentioned, that second option on the outside start to develop to where now defenses can't just overload Michael Pittman Jr. and double team him every single play and put their best corner on him, basically take one half of the field away. This is now starting to be a threat where you mentioned you're now starting to see a, a receiver, Alec Pierce, gain confidence and now really start to be a factor for this Colts. offense, one of the few bright spots on Thursday.
1: And Paris Campbell made plays late for the second straight week. Um, I think that's what's so frustrating right now about the offensive line. If you want to have any reason for optimism moving forward, it's that if they somehow fix the line, which is like if they somehow bring someone back from the dead right now, feels like the same kind of (laughs) percentage. But if they somehow fix the offensive line, I mean, you've got guys stepping up, making defenses pay for for overloading against Michael Pittman you would think this eventually would start opening up some lanes for Jonathan Taylor when you've got the tight ends doing what they've done the last couple weeks when you've got Alec Pierce making plays now Paris Campbell's making plays it just makes the problems with the offensive line and the problems with the quarterback more frustrating